Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Just uh, something we forgot to announce today. Covenant community members, after the second gathering, we're having a mandatory meeting right after that gathering um, in the basement. So we want to see all of you guys there and ready. Um, go, um, uh, it's going to be immediately after the gathering. So we're all going to kind of bum rush the basement. So we'll be talking through some things during that time. If you could open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Um, I remember when I um, started courting my wife. We didn't have text messaging back then. We just had beepers and, um, and real big cell phones. They were real big. These flat, skinny cell phones we got now, we didn't have those. Amen, back then. And, um, man, she would always after, she, I, I think, did she find a way to text it? I mean, uh, uh, what you call it? Beep? You know how you say I love you with the beeper? You remember that, Pastor? See, Pastor Larry with me. You know what I'm talking about. And um, every time we give, she give me a card, um, this, these, some of these verses we're going to go over today is going to be um, her verses that she'd always put at the end. And she got this little circle thing she'd do. And, girl, and ladies, y'all have such better handwriting than us. And so her stuff, her cards would look all pretty and nice and well-written. I'm scratching out stuff, erasing. And so, but every time I look at this passage, it reminds my wife, this is her favorite passage. So um, she's going to be at the second gathering, so I know she's going to be glad I'm preaching these verses. Father, um, I'll pray. I'm about to go back and pray. See, I like to pray. Let's read verse 1. Read verse 1. Verse 1, we're going to start at verse 1. We're only going to do a few of these verses today. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, or Yeshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to you, to them. To the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this uh, Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so also, or so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? 
do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. These are some encouraging verses if you're on God's team, that is. Um, they're very, 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 very encouraging. I love these verses. Today we're going to talk about a subject that um, I think uh, we need some clarity on as we're in this stewardship series, prosperity. I want to talk about prosperity. Now, those for, for you who this is your first time here, don't get scared and say, oh, my God, I did not. Okay, we're going to talk about it from a very, very different perspective than you're used to hearing it, hopefully. And it's a lot more simple than most would make it. But I think in light of um, a lot of the information given out um, through the TV and through other means, we really need to, as Christians, understand a biblical theology of, of sorts of prosperity. Now, the challenge with talking through the idea of prosperity is most of us have, uh, those of us who are against what is known as the prosperity gospel are kind of like stiff-arming like a fullback anything that has to do with the idea of prosperity. However, if the word comes up in the Bible, then we have to deal with it. Amen. Amen. And so, and so we're going to deal with it today because I think that those who don't believe in the so-called prosperity gospel, I think have gone the other pendulum from a biblical standpoint and don't even talk about, like, don't even explain, okay, if, if, that's, like, if that's not true, then what do we do with passages that talk about what prosperity is or prosperous. I mean, I couldn't even go through all of the passages and just kind of segment them. But as I went through every passage that talked about it, um, all of them kind of pointed to the same idea in relation to how the word is usually used. And so we're going we're gonna to walk through today just, just, just on prosperity, because I think in order to understand stewardship, in order to understand how do you uh, 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 facilitate and execute everything that God has put in your sphere, you have to understand and have a right understanding of prosperity. I don't think it's something that we should ignore, and I don't think it's a word that we shouldn't use or have a passion for God to do in the lives of people. We should want God to prosper people. But the question, though, is, is what does prosperity look like, though? <laughs> see, 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 many times we create a picture of prosperity that we want, but it may not be of understanding of prosperity that God is promoting from a biblical perspective. And as we go through this, it was fun going through this, and it was nurturing for my soul. And I chose this passage because the context of the passage has to do with prosperity. This whole, this, this chapter has to do with God sending his people and prospering them. Now, we're going to go through what the goal of God's prospering of his people was from a Pentateuch perspective that even reaches all the way into the New Testament. It's, I mean, it's mind-boggling that it's never, God's understanding of prosperity has never changed. However, the way it looks does. And so, and so, and so here in this passage, you got Moses just died. Um, Moses got real, real mad at the children of Israel because they wigged out on the Lord. And, um, you know what I'm saying? And so he comes back and, you know, he, 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 he's, ready to, he's ready to do his thing. And so what happened was, your man, Moses was a humble man. What's interesting is no one in the Old Testament ever fell in their weaknesses. They all fell in their strengths. And the Bible says that Moses was the most humble man on the planet. <laughs> um, but yet... Because of Moses' disobedience, 
So he said, speak to the rock, but he didn't speak to the rock. He got mad at the children of Israel and struck it. And when he struck it, God said, come here, lead him alone for a second. Come talk to me for a minute. Went over and started talking to Moses. And he said, Moses, now you've caused an occasion of disobedience as the leader. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to let them go into the promised land without you. And so Joshua used to hang up in the cleft of the rocks and listen to Moses as he talked to God. And just eavesdrop on the congregation. He, he, uh, if any fire or anything came past, he'd go like that. He'd just kind of be up under, you know what I'm saying, under the cleft of the rock, hanging out, listening to God talk to Moses. And, man, then when Moses would come down, he'd say, how did it go? And they would walk back down to the camp. And so Joshua uh, was, to, uh, was told, God told uh, Moses that Joshua was going to be his successor. And so he prepared him and helped him out and got him ready. And so now uh, Joshua um, was is scared to death. It's um, a whole generation has been taken out by God and all the 20 somethings, 20 and below, that's who's going into the promised land. Everybody above 20, he just put, he's, God said, um, I'm just going to put you to sleep in the wilderness. So now they're going in, that's, that's what happened. And so, so now Joshua's scared to death. He's, he's, he's walking with these 20 somethings and, and he needs some clarity and he needs some affirmation from God, right? And so, so he's, he's about, the, they're on the cleft, cleft, cleft of the promised land. Now, your, your man Joshua wasn't a punk in, in the sense of your man didn't know how to do a javelin, so all that he knew how to do his thing. However, taking the mantle of leadership was extremely difficult for this dude. He was around maybe 40 years old or so at this point. And so Joshua is one of the only ones that was a 20 above crowd that was actually left and able to go into the promised land with the children of Israel. And so here in this passage, it's, it's just bananas to me that, that, that his fear and his uh, trepidation is being engaged by God and it's being engaged by God's people. And God encourages him with prosperity. But, but the question is, what type of prosperity did he encourage him with? Is it, is it the view of prosperity that we hear today? Or is it the view of prosperity that we're about to find out right now? Let's dive in. First thing, uh, first point, is we must be committed. I think that's the only point. We must be committed to God's desired ends. <laughs> Real simple. We must be committed to God's desired ends. God says to Joshua, in verse 5, he says, no man shall be able to stand before you. That means nobody will be able to hold you in the fight. You all, the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You ever heard that before? <laughs> but this is interesting. This is, this is the part where it gets real, real interesting. And this is going to be the theme of the book of Joshua. Pretty much a sub-theme of the entire book. He says, be strong and courageous. Stop. Let's stop there. Let's talk about being strong and courageous. Now, throughout the Bible, you'll see that. You'll see that Haggai um, 2, you'll see it all over the place in Scripture where God has to cause his people and call them to be strong and courageous. Now, what's interesting about being strong and courageous is that usually when God tells you to be strong and courageous, you're scared in a mug, Right? 
And so because you're really, 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 really scared, God has to say, calm down. Be be strong and courageous is almost like calm down. I got you. Real simple terms. And this idea of being strong is having the ability to accomplish what is intended. What is intended in this passage is God promised God's people that they were going to be able to take over the promised land that God had promised them called the land of Cana that was populated. So everybody that was up in the land was going to get removed from the land through war and that God was going to make sure that his people were planted there. Now, you have to understand in the Old Testament, they were under a theocratic rule, a theocratic rule. Theocratic rule means that it's a God-ruled government, that God is the ruler of everything, and the people of God is the representation of his rule on earth. Therefore, what they were doing in this passage was they were doing what? They were building or being a part of God's kingdom building program. And so he tells Joshua, he says, be strong and courageous. It also, in strong, being strong here implies an element of resolve is needed as well, or, or a devotion to something in particular. Then he says, be courageous. I like the Hebrew this. The Hebrew this got real swag with it. It says, courageous here means to be stout. I like that. That's nice and masculine, stout. You know what I'm saying? I mean, stout, that means robust. I mean, be, be courageous, be stout, and be firm. Uh, to be bold, to be alert, and to be victorious. So God is telling him to be what he's empowering him to be. And so, and, so, and so in this passage, as you go through, all the way through the book, you'll see it. And later in chapter 1, you'll see it in different parts of the book. It, 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 uh, courageous is also known as be fearless in applying my word. <laughs> in this context, it means be fearless in applying my word. I'm going to talk about the results of this in a minute, which points to prosperity. But when he talks about be, be, be fearless in applying our work, it's interesting, which being strong and courageous means that in this context, um, because one of the things that we want to shift as a church from is just intaking information and not applying that information. Because from a biblical standpoint, being strong and courageous means not being fearless in talking smack about something, but it means being fearless in practicing what you want to talk smack about. <laughs> Got real quiet when I said that. But, but, but he said be strong and courageous in relation to what? Theological content and depth that implies itself in how we live it out. So God is telling him to do something. About, this dude had the whole Pentateuch memorized. All of it. All of it. Not just the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one. He didn't do he knew all he knew in the beginning God created heaven and went down and it was good and it was good. He knew all of that all the way up to what he about to write. And so he had the information, theology, he knew how to uh, slay lambs, he knew how to build tabernacles, he knew how to build the Ark of the Covenant, he knew what the Ark represented, he knew what the glory of God, he saw the glory of God, a uh, pillar of fire, a cloud, he saw all that. God said, all right, you got a lot of information. You got a lot of nice stuff in your system, fam, but now what I want you to do is I want you to take all of that nutrition and do something with it. He said, you're about to get in a fight, and you're going to have to get your weight up. 
And I've already put the weight in you, but now you got to get the weight out. <laughs> see, it, see, see, it's just like, it, 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 it's just, it, it's important for us to understand what it means from a biblical prosperity standpoint is God has called us and given us the right information. Now, prosperity doesn't mean you have the right information about God by itself, but it also means with that right information, you have potent application. Potent. Because it should drive you to that. You're not prosperous if you're not driven to live what you know. That, that's, that's what the passage is teaching. If, you, if, if, you're not, if you're not driven to live what you know, and the only thing that makes you mad is when someone doesn't believe what you believe, and, but when you see someone believing what you believe and not doing what they say they believe, that doesn't bother you. But when someone doesn't believe what you believe, then you advocate what you should for the faith. However, when someone's belief is the same and their practice is different, it doesn't bother you because they checked off agreement with you. <laughs> But being, but being strong and courageous means you got the information, now you got the application. Because in order to go from information to application, there has to be something in the middle called transformation. <laughs> Somebody ought to hear me today. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it has to be all threefold. Information without transformation leads to constipation. We get the image. Amen. So therefore, this statement is a call. This statement is a call of encouragement. That is the theme throughout this book to engage Joshua in an attitude of confidence in the Lord. For the conquest of the promise and the issue is that God is using him, of course, to lead God's people out. So the prom, this promise predates Joshua, though. It's powerful. But it now involves him. Now involves him. It, it predates Joshua. It predates him, but now it involves him. So he tells him over again. It's interesting that he said, be strong and courageous. But then, he's, then after that, he says, I like this. You know, when God know you're really scared, like, I don't know if you've ever been something where you're like, God, I really need you to really tell me to really, really understand it. I, I really need to really, really know that you've really called me to do what I'm really about to do. That's what, that's what Joshua was. Yeah, you ever been there where you was like, now, God, I know it's not an explicit verse for this, but I'm sensing the spirit lead me to apply it this way. And I really, really, really need you to really, really help me to really understand if this is really what you want me to do. And so Joshua, so God said, I understand how humans are, how frail y'all cats are. Y'all are frail. One minute you'll know that I said something to you, and then you get out in the wind and you're like, oh! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, and so what has to happen, right? What has to happen, right, is, is God, God will dump you with affirmation. See, that's a part of prosperity. God will affirm when you're going the right direction. Now, now, he does that because usually it will look like you're not going in the right direction. And usually people that he has to tell them that they're going the right direction is he has to dump them with signs. Now, the signs ain't an angel showing up in the room with a sword leaning on it. You know what I'm saying? That's not what I'm talking about. But what God will do when God and God does this when he's really up to something in your life. 
Somebody ought to hear me right now. When God is really up to something in your life and, and you're scared to death of it, that means it's a deep transformative point that he's taking you into. <laughs> and so, therefore, the fear is that, you, God, I got a lot to lose by making this crazy decision you're leading me to make. So I really got to have some journaling. I got to have some, I mean, I got to have some, I, I mean, we got, I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to follow you. This is not, I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm, and then he tells him after that, he says, he says, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers <coughs> to give to them. Only be strong and very, very courageous. So he reaffirms him. He reaffirms. He says, now, I'm going to be with you, fam, through this. But I need you to move in what I've laid before you. It's not enough to dream about where God wants you to be. Dreaming is the easy part. Making a PowerPoint and a brochure and a MySpace page, a Facebook and a Twitter, that's the easy part. But the difficult part of walking in biblical prosperity is moving forward. With the wind in your face. And, and your tears turning into icicles in the storm. Because <laughs> it's going to be cold out there, baby. But God said, I'm with you. But then he goes forward and then he just keeps, he's very meticulous. I, I want you all, I want us to really zoom in on the fact that God is real meticulous. And what he keeps telling, how he's affirming Joshua and, 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 and caressing Joshua. But he's about to do like this to Joshua in a minute. See, he caress you, love on you, take the wipe the tears, and then he kick you. And so, but before he kicks him, before he kicks him, he says, be careful. Now, I was about to move past be careful. But I found out that be careful is like, I, that's why I like the languages. It's, it, you can move past a word and you don't realize the richness of what's in the text. Be careful. This statement, uh, I found out that this statement, be careful, appears 40 times throughout the Bible. 40 times. Most of the instances are about obedience to the whole or some aspect of God's word by way of imperative. It, it, I mean, in, other words, in other words, it's talking about the meticulous nature by which a person knows God's word but also the meticulous nature by which they look at ways to apply it. He keeps, he keep, I mean, he's drumming away at Joshua at application. It is a statement of caution as well as command. <laughs> and so he's, it, it, in other words, it means to keep watch over. The word is, it, it, is used, interestingly enough, of what it means to watch over animals, locations, or objects and in being an official watcher or a guarding over someone, something, or someplace. What is he telling him to be careful or be a watchman over? He's telling Joshua to be a watchman over what he's told him to do. He's told him to be a watchman over the scriptures. Just as a person stands at night in that culture, a watchman would stand and look out at night, and he'd have his torch, and he'd be walking, he'd spear, he can't be falling asleep, going like this all on the torch. He has to stay awake and watch. And if something happens, he has to sound the alarm. Same thing in this passage, the same sense in relation to being careful, being careful, meticulously watching something to make sure the duty that you have in the thing you're being careful about is being executed. 
Powerful. Powerful. <sighs> Means to revere, to cling to, to have a worshipful trust and reliance on an object or a deity. Specifically here, it's Lord Yahweh. Now, it's interesting that he goes next. Y'all know I like stopping at words because they're all rich. Can't do all of them. But it says, be careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. Stop at commanded. Now, I was going to run past this, this commanded because I'm used to just seeing the word command in the Bible. But, you know, Pastor Larry, I stopped on command. Holy, Holy Spirit did me like this when I got to command. People don't like commands. People like options. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm going to preach in a minute. See, see, it's interesting. He said, all that I commanded you. Wow. That means you ain't got a choice. We don't like hierarchy. We don't like anyone telling us anything. Oh, my God. We don't like, we, we, we don't like God. We like God to, we want to feel that God is, I feel like God is saying to me, wow, you feel, I didn't know God spoke to your feelings primarily. He uses them, but he doesn't trust them. And so he says, I command you. This word command in, in our culture is a curse word. It's a curse word. It, it's almost a curse. I command, you command me. In today's world, in today's culture, in our generation, commanding someone, it, you, you're going to get your lip busted, open, your eyes closed, teeth lost, nose broken, ribs crushed, because most people like Options. We're option culture. Everything's uh uh, uh we, we, everything is is just how you think it should be done, and all of us should kind of democratically talk about this. Let's all make a decision to know God when God commands his people to do something, he doesn't listen to how he says, be careful, be strong, be courageous. In other words, be meticulous about the exact way that I commanded you to do what you were told to do. Ask, ask Hopney and Phineas. Ask them. Got them some, I mean, they, they, they was like, um, yeah, man, we can't, we can't get the fire, man. They said, well, any old fire will do. Hopney and Phineas, they got the fire and put it in there and they went good night. Uzziah. Thought he could just go ahead and make a sacrifice, do his own thing. While he was going up to the altar, he got leprous. God don't play, y'all. Ananias and Sapphira. I can just keep going. They said, we're going to give all our proceeds to the Lord. They got all emotional in the worship gathering. Bless God, I'm going to give it all, I'm going to give it all. Then they got out. What was I thinking? They sold it, you know, 100000 They gave 50000 Said, you lied to the spirit. Good night. Sleep. God of the Old Testament, same God in the New Testament. Amen. <laughs> then he says another word of caution. He says another word of caution. He says, I command you, do not turn from it. Do you hear how meticulous he's being? He's just making sure that Joshua doesn't do that. 
He said, to the right hand or to the left hand that you may have good success. Okay, now we're getting to this prosperity thing. He uses success several times in the past, and he uses the word prosperity, which are two different words. Now, I'm explaining these, and then we're going to lay out this and press forward in it from a New Testament Christocentric standpoint. Success. He said that you may have good success. Now, let's, let's talk through what success is. Now, in this passage, the good success contextually points to God successfully bringing to pass the word that he promised. Now, we're going to talk about in a second what the word is that he promised, which is in this passage, but then we'll talk about the why he promised this word. Because God promises things, even though many times it benefits us, it's a greater good than our personal benefit. Always. Success and prosperity are always greater than personal benefit. So success here, it's, it, it really is a word that means to be wise. It's interesting. It means to have insight, to get wisdom, to gain understanding, to be prudent. But you got to understand, wisdom in the Bible, even though this is not chakma, the usual word for, um, for, um, for, um, for, for wisdom, the word here is uh, shakal, a shakal, a sakal, um, S, uh, do it in English, S-A-K. Uh, I-L or A-L, Sakal. And what's interesting, because Hebrew doesn't have lettering, so I'm trying to give you all a vowel equivalent. Sakal, and it means also to skillfully live out what you know. And here in this context, what success means, God is going to bless skillfully living out what you know. In other words, his hand is on it. Do do you hear what I'm saying? Do do y'all hear what this Bible is saying? That God blesses, the prosperity is God blessing us applying his word. (laughs) That's prosperity. Now I'm going to give you a more refined definition. But when he says have good success, that means that he's going to bless you keeping his commands and wisely applying him and he's going to blow on that. He doesn't blow on mess, family. I just want to let y'all know that real quick. God, we don't get to create something and just ask God to join us in it. That's not what God is doing. God says, I was up to this before the foundation of the earth. I'm calling you on my team to join me in what I want to do. That's the way it works. We, we believe in a God-centered theology here, not a man-centeredness. That God was like, oh, they're so cute. I'm going to do something for them. No, he said, I'm so fine and glorious and beautiful and, 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 I mean, I'm just who I am. I got to do something for me. But doing something for him is righteous. We'll see that in a minute. So when he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, points back to, to the Shema in Genesis chapter, I mean, um, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the Shema is interesting. It's interesting here that he said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, which Joshua would have immediately thought to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hail Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbors as yourself later on. You shall not depart. This word of the law, it shall not depart from you. For you shall write it on your frontals and you shall post it on your door. In other words, meticulous application and reproduction of discipling people in God's passion to execute his word. 
and God all connects blessing to obedience. That he initiates, not that we initiate. It's very, very important. So God is passionate about his people being saturated with his worldview. <laughs> God's desire is that we would be inundated with his heart. That's what this means. Many times we see command and law. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't necessarily equate that with heart. Or something that, intake, that we can intake and it has affection in relation to it. Well, from a biblical perspective, from a God perspective, command and law is next to his heart. Now, the question is, does command and law earn God's favor? We're going to see that in a minute. No, it doesn't. Command and law come because God has chosen to announce his favor on you. Favor, favor was never earned, even in the Old Testament. He says, so, he says, so uh, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate means low utterances that is barely audible. That you just announce it to yourself. Talking about in-depth meditation to chew on like a cow chewing. But then he goes further. He says, make your way prosperous. Good. We're there. All right. But let's break this down. Let's break this down. Make your way prosperous. Now, in the Bible, way is used everywhere. Especially in, um, especially in the wisdom literature. You know, like the Psalms, Proverbs, Job. Um, Ecclesiastes or Kohelet, some would call. And, and, and when you look at those, you'll hear a lot about way. Derek is the word, and it means road or direction. Now, your way here is the appointed life direction that is characterized by those who walk with God. The appointed life direction that is characterized by those who walk with God. That's the way. Jesus says, I am the Yes, so Jesus is pointing back to the way that God has always been talking about is me. Not just the road itself, but the way ultimately is fully fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so your way is this, uh, many times, and this is what's interesting, the, wor the, the wording of this is deceiving because it seems like it's his way in a sense of something that is Joshua's ownership of what his way is, something that he created, but that's not what it's saying because it can sound like existentialism. But it's not. It is, a, it is really pointing to the divine roadmap of God. That's what it is. So, prosperous here. I'll make you prosperous. The, the center of the word means to thrive. Means to thrive. Pros, prosperous is placed in the, and here, of course, in the causative versus the effect, pointing to the fact that God is the one acting and he's the cause. <laughs> The motivator and definer of what prosperity is. Prosperity means to cause victory, to be in a state of having sufficient or considerable, even sometimes possessions, it can mean that sometimes, or be in favorable circumstance. So without oversimplifying biblical prosperity, it's God's act by which he lays out a desired end for his people and empowers them to complete it. Biblical prosperity is God's act by which he lays out a desired end for his people and empowers them to complete it. 
Now, if you understand desired end, uh, there is an ultimate desired end, and there are many desired ends. When I say many, I don't mean a lot. I'm talking about small, M-I-N-I, many desired ends. There's the macro desired end of God, and there's the micro desired end of God. So my business majors, you with me now. It's twofold in it because God can kill two birds and millions of birds with one stone. He can't do that because he's so he's so fly, man. He's so crazy. Second Corinthians, I mean, Second Chronicles 6:33 says, Hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to uh, all for which the foreign the foreigner calls to you. In order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name <laughs> and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your what name? God's desired end is that his name may be known everywhere. God is motivated by God, not men. Wow. As much as he cares about human beings, he's motivated by God. Period. Exodus 6, 7 says, We'll take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am your God. His desired end is that his people would be more intimately in relation with him and in that happening, it makes its way out to people knowing his name. That's the desired end of God. So prosperity is not merely material possessions themselves, but prosperity is the joy of experiencing and seeing God's plan come to fruition through his people. That's biblical prosperity. But the question is, what does that look like? What does that look like? In this context, of course, it's the conquest of the promised land. And God promising that to his people. But God's way in which he brings about prosperity among his people is different over different times based on what he's trying to do to honor and glorify himself. For instance, when the Romans were killing God's people, God's people, and they were suffering, and they were not renouncing the name of Jesus, First, it was fun. Ah, ha, ha, they laughing, getting drunk, wilding out. They laughing. Ah, I did the Christian. Lions coming out, dudes stabbing them, killing them on poles. Then after a while, after Christian, after Christian, after Christian came out, it lost its height. And then people began to wonder. They know what's about to happen to them, but they, they're praying while standing out there waiting for the line to come get them. They're quoting verses. They're saying, into your hands I commit your, my spirit. They're saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That doesn't look like financial success by itself as prosperity. <laughs> it looked like prosperity was for them to hold up under suffering. When a hard time come, they didn't crack. Sometimes prosperity looks like being lonely and God being absent and having to pray like David, God, where are you? 
and still be in hot pursuit. <laughs> That's prosperity. Prosperity. Prosperity is being called to a place that God has called you to and seeing everything go wrong and still walk with him. That's prosperity. Prosperity is you in a class wondering why in the world am I taking this? Why in the world am I doing all of this work? Does this have an end to it? And you feeling overwhelmed and still handing your work in on time with a smile with red eyes, even though you drank too much Red Bull. <laughs> Prosperity. Prosperity is husbands and wives going through challenges, going through miscarriages, and still walking with Jesus. That's prosperity. Prosperity is the husband and wife that bids their church goodbye as missionaries to the 1040 window to be snuck in as doctors so that they can start an underground church and then guys come in to kill them. To fight. They can't send emails publicly. They can't send text messages publicly. They got to keep everything silent. That's prosperity. That's God's desired ends coming to pass. And many times in our life, we want to create what prosperity looks like. But, per, but prosperity biblically is paradoxical. Always. Always. So it's beautiful how the Lord Jesus Christ, and even in the New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, he says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and store it up as he may prosper, as, as God has prospered him. Now, we're not talking about giving today. We'll talk about that later. But it's interesting what the word means here also. It means to complete something. <laughs> Have things turn out well based on God's view of wellness. Sometimes wellness is persevering through sickness. Ah. God is the agent of prosperity. This comes, of course, from God's divine prerogative to maximize the maximization of God's people for his own glory. It's interesting. I was looking at Tim Keller's book on counterfeit gods, and he has a section in here um, where um, he, he, he writes about an old article in, Vanity, I think, Vanity Fair, well, Madonna is, is, is being very, very transparent, which is, I mean, it's crazy how transparent she's being. This is a picture of unredeemed prosperity, and this is her saying that we're not dogging her or anything. Just reading the article. It says, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. She says, I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. She's being very, very vulnerable, but isn't that some of us? Searching for significance and prosperity in a way that is defined by humans. 
versus being defined by the living God. What's interesting is that in light of God being the determiner of true success and prosperity, he determines what that looks like. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the true Joshua. He's the true Joshua. What's, what's powerful about Jesus is Joshua failed. He failed. He wasn't strong and courageous. He wasn't careful. He made ungodly alliances. The children of Israel didn't conquer all the people they were supposed to conquer. They didn't. But there was a true Joshua that was to come one day. This true Joshua was going to come not in slick gear and nice shoes and a hat turned to the side. He came as a servant. He came, he lived three years with the wind in his face, knowing he was going to die on a cross and be raised from the dead. And he's still conquering and ruling at the right hand of God right now. And this Jesus is the true conqueror of God's promised land. The true promised land is not a place, but it's a people. And those who know Jesus Christ, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 that we are the eternal temple. And so Jesus marks the spot for us of what true prosperity looks like because he kept saying I had to die because he knew prosperity was wrapped up in doing what God commanded him to do. And he, and he lived by that imperative, I must die. It has such an impact on Christianity that every Christian marked their lips with those words, I must die. True prosperity is found in dying. <laughs> to your will and finding and being found in the will of God. Paul said that I may be found in him and attain to the likeness of his death, that I may fellowship with his resurrection and his sufferings. May I attain to that which was attained for me by Jesus. In Paul's mind, prosperity was in him living a selfless life and allowing it, the identity of that life to be found in Christ and Christ alone. And like we said last week, living for an audience of one. And sometimes prosperity is lost, not gained. Because, because gain in man's eyes could be loss in God's eyes. But loss in man's eyes, most of the time, is gain in God's eyes. But the question is, do you have eyes to see like that? I pray that we as a church... I pray, I pray that we would see biblical prosperity in each and every one of our lives individually and as a community. And that as we walk with him, that we would say the same thing to one another. I must die. Father, you are the center of our joy, Lord Jesus. <coughs> And we want to have lives that are pivotal in how we follow you and apply your truth. God, I pray that we would understand prosperity.
from a biblical perspective and not a creation of what we as men, all of us create, our own view of what it looks like to be prosperous. That doesn't mean we shouldn't dream. That doesn't mean, but we should, we should like, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs talks about, Proverbs 16, about us letting you edit everything. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord orders his steps. A man's heart plans his way, but the answer of the tongue is of the Lord. And so, God, I pray in the name of Lord Yahshua, the true Joshua, <laughs> that we would see prosperity. And we would have different pictures of prosperity because the gospel is God's means of prosperity, true prosperity, true growth. Does God increase? Yes, he does. Does God give more? Yes, he does. But, Lord God, I pray that everything that's in our sphere, that you would use it to the glory of Jesus Christ and that we would see prosperity from your perspective, not our own. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Maybe you're here today. And-